Hey everyone. Welcome to My Cheesehead Life, a Packer fan podcast. My name is Patrick. I'm the host of this podcast. Uh, thanks for joining me here on uh, this episode. We're uh, coming at you with a case, pretty serious case of the Mondays. Um, busy weekend. I don't, you know, sure maybe some, some, if not all of you, uh, caught the Packer game this weekend. So that was a little bit disappointing. Um, so we'll get to all that. Um, but yeah, once again, welcome to uh, my Cheesehead Life, a Packer fan podcast. If my count is correct, we're on lucky number 13 episode, that is. Um, I, a uh, couple quick plugs here. I got a website, mycheeseheadlife.com. You can email the show, or I guess me, at info at mycheeseheadlife.com. Still uh, looking for that first fan email. That'll be pretty exciting uh, if something comes through. Uh, check the inbox earlier, and uh, this is what I found. So, if anyone out there is compelled to send me an email, that'd be great. Um, I also have a Twitter, or I'm sorry, X, the website formerly known as Twitter handle is uh, at mycheeseheadpod. Um, still got uh, plenty of crickets there too, just going to let that play the whole time apparently. Um, I, I think I'm up to one one follower on my uh, X uh, handle there, so that's pretty cool, pretty exciting. Um, but... Um, I want to always say thanks to anybody listening, uh, especially got, a, I actually got a couple shout outs to do to here today on this case, of the Mondays, we can get to all that Packer and football stuff soon enough. Uh, but it was kind of fun to have a, a high school friend, Ryan, uh, I guess go by RV or Shmoo, whatever you want to say, uh, reach out to me on Facebook, uh, sent me a picture of him listening to the uh, podcast over the television, uh, out what appeared to be maybe in his backyard or patio area. So that was really cool. Thank you. And, uh, pretty, pretty important bond between, uh, Ryan and I going back to high school, uh, excellent taste in music, uh, that, that, uh, we shared, uh, common bond being the band Tesla. We were both pretty big Tesla fans back in the day. I mean, well, I mean, he's taller than me, so I guess he's the bigger Tesla fan, but uh, overall, still a Tesla fan, one of the best bands uh, from the late 80s, early 90s, for my money anyways, and that was something that Ryan and I enjoyed uh, a bond with uh, both being uh, pretty pretty enthusiastic about the, the band Tesla. So thanks for that picture, thanks for listening, and also a shout out to uh, Brent in Colorado who sent me a message. Um, I don't know if Brent would want me to disclose that we're related, so I'll, I'll hold off till I hear from Brent on that. Um, but yeah, just cool to, to get some, uh, interaction from fellow cheeseheads out there. Uh, thanks so much. Um, for anybody that's listening, we're up to 190 listens, uh, total. So hopefully by the time we're into hump day, when I do typically the second episode of the week, uh, maybe we'll cross that 200 mark. That'd be exciting. And, uh, there it's interesting on, on Spotify apparently, and I'm learning all this being new to the podcast world, pretty, pretty much. Uh, in order to what, what they say monetize, I guess, you know, something having to do with when you start to qualify for ads, uh, you, you have to reach a thousand, it seems like different type of listeners. It, it doesn't really ex explain some of the terminology. Um, but the audience size at this point, according to Spotify is up to 65. Um, so 190 listens over maybe 65 different people, something like that. So that's pretty exciting. Thanks everyone. Remember to like, subscribe, share with friends, family, enemies, you name it. Trouble with insomnia. Give me a listen. Um, but 
as always, appreciate anyone out there listening to my Cheesehead Life podcast. Um, so enough with the shout outs and the thank yous and, and the listens. Um, get into some of the content here that I want to go over. Uh, one one kind of noteworthy item that happened over the last few weeks. This is actually going back several several months. Uh, I don't know, kind of works this way sometimes. Eh, you know, hey, you want something for Father's Day and, you know, birthday come and goes and uh, somewhat on the, on the list or the thought for this year was a grill, getting a new grill. Um, so I, I hemmed and hawed kind of browsing all summer, basically looking, looking at different options and, and finally kind of settled on one, um, just a, a few weeks ago. So I, I don't know, you know, how, I don't know if you're like me where you just, the impulse sometimes takes over and the patience is lacking. So instead of just going to like Lowe's or the local hardware store and getting some assistance with buying a grill, I said, well, what the heck? I'll just go on Weber's website directly and order one, right? Just kind of like Amazon, right? Um, so it's been an interesting few weeks after ordering a pretty, pretty decent sized grill. Um, I've been doing gas grill for a long time. There's a little, little background that the, the current gas grill here at my Cheesehead Life is somewhat sentimental. It was purchased, uh, I want to say like summer, spring, summer of 2011. And at the time I was taking a little hiatus from the office day jobs and, and did some landscaping and you know, those kind of hours can be long in the summer. So the idea was if we had a, a more simple to use gas grill, um, then perhaps, uh, Mrs. Cheesehead would, um, do some, some grilling in the summer if I'd be unable to, uh, with that job. Well, it turns out, I'm not sure if, um, Mrs. Cheese said ever use that grill once, but, but that's okay because it turned out to be a superb purchase. Uh, it was a Weber spirit grill still on the patio 11, 12 years later, uh, still turning out tons of great food for us. Um, so it, it, that's partly why it was a little bit of a ham and a haw and picking out a new grill. Cause not going to lie a little bit of, uh, I don't know if a lot of people in Wisconsin are like this, but a little attached to that grill is so trustworthy. Um, you know, yeah, I had to use a lighter to light it, the little electric ignition that, that kind of wore out after one winter. Um, and, and it's not the cleanest looking operation. There's, there's one spot that doesn't get real hot. Um, but, but once you know, all those nuances, the, the grill works just perfect for me. And we turn on a lot of great food on that grill. So that's partly why it just took so long for me to settle on something. I bought a couple of years ago, I've gone through some grills. I tried the pellet thing. And that was, um, not really my jam. And I, I don't know if you just kind of heard that little yelp, but actually I think one of, one of my, well, I, my number one fan maybe just had to get into the room. That was our, my, my fur, furry baby here, Sophie, or I don't know, people call them fur babies. I, that, that came out poorly. Anyways, I have a dog and her name's Sophie. And we had a nice time going to pick up one of the cheese heads at soccer, take her for a walk, get her out the house a little bit. And then, uh, you know, she's all fired up when we come home and just doesn't want to leave my side. So, uh, that little yelp you just heard was Sophie wanting to be a part of the show. Welcome. Uh, Sophie might be, I guess, technically my first official guest here at my Cheesehead life. So anyways, uh, back to grilling, uh, tried the pellet grill. It was cool. It's supposed to, you know, operate like a grill and do the smoking, all that. My trouble there was that, you know, just about anything you had burger, just want a basic pork chop, you name it. Chicken breast came out tasting a little bit like campfire, which to some people love it. For me, it was a little bit much. I, I kind of got in, in, in about one season of grilling, I got, and it didn't work real great. It got jammed here and there, just a little more maintenance than I wanted. Um, so I, I got rid of the pellet grill, 
I don't know, a year, a year or two ago. And then I got one of those kettle uh, grills, Komodo Joe, maybe is the brand. So I got something for kind of those longer cooks and the smoke and then whatever you want to do. But anyways, the longtime spirit gas grill was starting to get a little small. Um, you know, there is the one spot that's not so hot and you want to cook up a bunch of food for, well, even just the family as these youngsters get to eat more and more. I landed on getting a bigger gas grill as an upgrade. So I went with like a Weber Genesis 435 or something like that. Um, more than I would normally do. Um, but I was, I guess maybe doing this podcast had me feeling some, uh, exuberance about getting something nice for the backyard patio. And anyways, the, the story part of this or what I was trying to get to after, after some, uh, detours and, and my dog wanting to join the show is, uh, so I ordered it directly. And of course I waived the option to have assembly done for another hundred dollars. So the, the thing shows up and, and as it's getting closer, like it's, it's interesting because different than Amazon, I'm getting like messages and phone calls from the delivery service and they want to arrange delivery. So, you know, that was my first indicator that something's a little different here than, you know, just your standard Amazon order, which actually I think I got the Komodo grill from Amazon, but, um, this thing shows up about a week after I put the order in online and the guy arranged the order backs into the driveway with the, the truck. I'm like, Holy, I mean, this is like some real personal delivery here and it comes out on a pallet. And so my, uh, stress levels are rising significantly as I'm, you know, really second guessing the notion of having to put this thing together myself. It comes out on a pallet, huge box. I look on the side, it says it weighs like 300 pounds. So this guy's got it on like a pallet dolly and wheels it into my garage where it sits for a week, just, just hanging over my head. This, this large Weber grill that I'm just like, oh my God, what, what was I thinking? It's got some kind of electric start. It's got three, four burners. It's got a sear zone. It's got the side burner on one of the platforms and, and I'm, I'm not the most handy guy. So I was really getting a bit nervous about having this. And then just the fact that it's there. All right. You know, you just, uh, place this order for a nice big grill. And now it's just sitting in a box, uh, busy with kid events, the day job, you name it, you know, things going on. Uh, cause I knew I'd probably need a good, at least two, three, four hours to, to work on that thing. And, uh, had to, had to wait for the right opportunity, which came along on Friday evening. So I decided I'd log off the day job Friday. Didn't have much going on. Um, and started the process of peeling that thing apart, uh, opening the box that sat on the huge crate in the garage. There's all, I mean, and then it was like, I mean, boxes upon boxes. That's one thing about ordering things online is my garage. Now is just, does anybody need some cardboard? I, I have extra cardboard if you need it. Um, so uh, the whole kitchen is covered with different boxes that after about a half hour of just pulling boxes out of the crate and, um, Getting a little nervous <laughs> looking at how thick the, the instructions are. Daylight's starting to run short here in northeast Wisconsin at this time of year. Get dark, gets you know pretty well dark about 7.30 p.m. This is probably about 3.30 p.m. that I'm getting started. So the clock is starting to tick. Um, and, and so short story kind of getting long here is that it, it actually went pretty smoothly. It, it Kudos to Weber for putting together a product that was pretty much idiot proof. Um, the only thing that slowed me down was myself. Uh, there was one or two instances where something didn't quite seem right. And sure enough, it was me 
who wasn't right, um, grabbing the wrong screw out of the pack or not, not quite catching part of the instruction that said to, you know, clip on the top before you screw in the bottom, just a couple minor things like that, that, you know, gave me five, 10 minutes of pause and trying to figure out what I'm doing. Um, so at the end of it all, this thing, it, it went together actually quite easily. It took about four hours total, uh, to put it all together, but that involves roughly like a half hour of unboxing all the items that had to get out of that big box. And then roughly, let's say half hour of just kind of picking up and putting things away and some of the finishing touches. Um, so about a good three hour assembly. If you need to save yourself that, that maybe that hundred bucks, the hardware store wants to charge you. Uh, I was really impressed with how, how user friendly that Weber grill was to put together. Now I have not turned it on yet. So it's been quite a process. Like I said, ordered it maybe a couple weeks ago, sat in the garage for about a week, got put together Friday. Here we are Monday and still have not turned it on. I want to, you know, get a fresh tank and everything. Um, but I try to support the local hardware store rather than going to the big box and they're closed on Sundays. So I didn't get over there yesterday. So I'm hopeful maybe tomorrow or at some point get a new tank and test that thing out. Might even do it hump day. Might even do it hump day. It's got to have like a 20 minute burn to, uh, you know, get all the, I don't know, uh, factory dust chemical type remnants off of it. And then maybe I can cook something up on it Wednesday. Um, but I'm excited. It's got a much bigger cooking surface. Uh, relatively easy to put together and um, I'll certainly be keeping you posted as to well whether or not it works would be step one so we'll, we'll have to turn it on probably on Wednesday and and that'll be exciting and then as far as uh, the current Weber uh, the spirit that's still you know keeping my spirits good I'm not sure what to do with that one you know everybody's we're well, gonna get rid of that one and I don't know it's kind of a thing to have like you know this kind of comes from my dad having like a backup grill um, Sometimes you still might run out of grill space, right? And need something else to cook on. Uh, so I might just keep the old spirit sentimental purposes somewhat. And, um, you know, if I ever need to do some roasted corn in addition to whatever's on the big grill, uh, maybe it'd be handy for that. So we'll see. Keep you posted if I do anything with, with the long-term spirit grill. But um, enough about my grill uh, assembly. I just kind of wanted to share that, that process in case anyone's wondering about buying a, a large grill and assembling it yourself. I would recommend Weber. Because uh, it shows up pretty much idiot proof. Um, but on to some of the football stuff. Um, I, uh, I I like to report back on how I do on my picks. To, to recap a little bit. I, I'm in a, a, a pool for entertainment purposes only. Where you pick three games a week against the spread. And then if those if you get them right. You get I think two points. If, if it's a push on the spread. You get one. And if you get them wrong. You get zero. So week one, I did poorly. I shared that I got knocked out of the KO, a separate side bet uh, in week one, and also went one and two in my other picks. Well, pretty similar here in week two. Uh, well, I mean, except for the KO, I'm already knocked out of that one. So no need to pick there, uh, but the other results were the same. So again, uh, evidence of uh, amateur uh, prognostication taking place here at My Cheesehead Life. Uh, but, you know, perhaps I should do more than the one or two minutes of research when I sit down on Sunday morning and send these picks in. Uh, but it's just fun, mostly fun. I don't get too twisted about it anymore. Uh, but I picked Detroit. I thought Detroit would do a better job. But again, kind of fool's gold. Maybe I was just like, well, they went in and beat Kansas City. May as well take them to beat Seattle at home now. Um, so, of course, Detroit did me a solid and, and came through with the L against Seattle. They got beat at home in overtime. 
wasn't even just that they didn't cover. Uh, they were like five and a half point favorites, I think. Uh, they flat out got beat. Um, and then the Packers, which of course we'll talk about here a bit later in more detail. Uh, so being the homer that I am, and with really no reason to believe otherwise, pick the Packers. Uh, if I recall, maybe a one, one and a half point favorite. They lost uh, full on, so got an L on that one for me and my picks. Uh, the one I did get right, though, was the Cowboys. Um, it's always a little bit of a question mark, uh, believing in the Cowboys. But early in the year, they tend to do well, it seems. So, And they had the huge win last week against the Giants, where they pretty well dominated them. You had the Jets coming in there after an emotional win where they lost Rodgers, but still came back to beat the Bills at home. And then they got to go on the road to the Cowboys, yada, yada, yada. So I thought that'd be a good pick, even if they were like a 10-point favorite. And the Cowboys came through. They, they put a pretty good beating on the Jets. I think Zach Wilson threw like three interceptions. So that'll help the Packers and their draft pick prospects from the Rodgers trade. Always wanting to see the Jets lose because that'll push that second round pick for next next spring up higher and higher with every loss. Um, so yeah, uh, on the season, I'm two and two and four in my picks. Yeah, pick three, so that'd be six. So we'll keep, hopefully do better. Hopefully I have uh, better results going into next week. We'll see. I'll keep you posted on my picks. I also do a little bit of DraftKings. I don't really do the full-on fantasy anymore. Um, just kind of lost any circles of friends that were really into it. Um, and, and yeah, anyways, lost such of being in a fantasy league with other humans. So what I've done uh, since then, probably about five years now, is if I, if I were to spend 50, 75 bucks on a, on a fantasy league, I just kind of take that money now and put it into DraftKings and actually haven't had to contribute much for a year or two because it's really for entertainment purposes as well. I mostly pretty much break even. So it's kind of fun for me to do it that way. Uh, for anyone who's never done DraftKings, for me it's kind of fun because instead of being committed to a lineup for a whole season and you know injuries and some of the stresses and having to set your lineup and go back and is someone offering you a trade and and some of those things that go into fantasy i just never was that into it um so DraftKings is fun kind of like doing my picks i just sit out in the morning uh pick out a couple maybe two or three lineups don't really spend more than five to ten dollars on a given sunday on, on lineups and then some days i i win five to ten dollars um, so yeah, I won $1 on DraftKings, uh, and it was actually kind of the one fluky, well, let's just do one more lineup. I think I had like a free ticket or something, and and I was doing really good early in the day, but then as more, more of the games get going and more guys are racking up stats, it's funny to see how much it whittles down. So at one point, I was winning like 50 bucks, probably midway through the third quarter of the early games, uh, but by the time other guys got on the field and other stats in the late games get racked up, I ended up being, uh, well, I got $1. <laughs> so I spent 7 on lineups on DraftKings on Sunday and got $1 back. So, woohoo. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a recap of how my, uh, my uh, entertainment purposes only stuff went on the weekend and putting a grill together. So why not how we get into some football finally here. So we got a few things to get to. I want to start uh, maybe in a little different order. We'll... We'll, go, we'll just start right away with them Badgers, huh? We'll go on with the, uh, you know, the old jump around. We had a Badger victory to uh, celebrate Saturday. Um, now, I'm not able to always watch the games in real time. A lot of things with the with the kids' schedule, I have to DVR, watch it later. Um, matter of fact, the Monday Night Football going on tonight while I'm, while I'm talking into this microphone. Uh, so I'll have to sit down later and watch those games. Um, 
And the Badgers were part of that. Kind of busy on Saturday, so I sat down on Saturday evening to watch the game against Georgia Southern. Badgers were big favorites. So it wasn't, you know, must-see TV for me, and they were on at like 11 a.m. on Saturday. So kind of an early start. Um, but, but anyways, it was a little concerning if you're watching the score at all or watching the game at all. Um, actually went into halftime, I think it was t- tied 7-7. So they're about 20-point favorites and kind of struggling against the Georgia Southern team. Saw some of the same issues we saw uh, in the first two games. Uh, some poor tackling, offense being a little choppy at times. Um, but then they did settle in uh, into the second half, really got the run game going more. Uh, Tyler Mordecai, the quarterback that's uh, new this year, maybe didn't have his best day passing again, uh, but he did enough with his feet, kind of a feature that, that we didn't see with the previous quarterback, Graham Mertz. Um, so so he had a couple nice runs, ended up Tanner Mordecai had two rushing touchdowns, and it was really the run game that, that was able to kind of bring the game home for the, the Badgers. Um, but coincidentally, Georgia Southern, lots of passing yards, 383 passing yards, it says here, for, for their quarterback, Davis Brin. So that's a concern, of course. But from what I saw, I, I want to mention that there was some, some pretty good plays by Georgia Southern. You know, the Badgers would be in decent coverage, and the quarterback would, would have some pressure, and he'd cut it loose down the sidelines, and then be right on the money to the receiver and some traffic, making the catch. Um, so credit to Georgia Southern for, you know, probably bringing their A game and with those, uh, smaller programs, this one out of the Sun Belt, you know, you know, it's always a big deal when they travel to a big school. So you're, you're going to get their best more often than not their best shot and the Badgers still being a team that's kind of figuring their way out with the new coach, new program, a lot of new players and faces everywhere, new schemes. Um, so really, as I've been saying the first few, first month or so here of my Cheesehead Life podcast, you know, bottom line for the Badgers right now is don't drop any, you know, real ugly, easy games. And so far, they really haven't. You know, Washington State was a disappointment. They were favored there. Um, but this was a game, you know, you got to come out and find a way to win somehow, some way. And they did. 35-14, they covered. Um, so while it didn't look pretty at times, I mean, the, the it was, you know, what was essentially predicted, big, big 20-point win for the Badgers. Uh, recapping some of the numbers, like I said, their quarterback Davis Davis Brin threw threw the ball 52 times, 383 yards. But really, really, the big problem he had was turnovers. He had five, one, two, three, four, five interceptions uh, that the Badgers took off Georgia Southern's quarterback. And uh, coincidentally, I think I had heard in the broadcast uh, some of the radio stuff maybe that the Badgers didn't have a single turnover in their first two games. The defense, that is. So. Uh, the floodgates opened uh, when Georgia Southern came into town and, and provided the Badgers with five interceptions. Uh, so clearly a huge factor in the Badger victory there to get all those turnovers. Uh, Mordecai did okay passing, 19 out of 30, 236 yards, uh, no touchdowns, no picks. So so good to see the turnovers kind of got eliminated from the Badgers against Georgia Southern. Um, so that, that had been something that had happened in the first couple games. Uh, Mordecai throwing a pick or two, having a couple fumbles maybe. Um, and then again, the ground game, Braylon Allen, 12 for 94. He had a couple big runs early in the second half that helped give him momentum. Uh, Ches Malusi had the 15 carries for 61 and a touchdown. And then Mordecai, seven carries for 36 and two TDs. And one of them, his long was 18 yards. Um, so really the ground game kind of came through again for the Badgers with a total of 38 carries, 207 yards. That's 5.4 per carry and five 
That's five rushing touchdowns. So they had five picks. Badgers had five rushing touchdowns. Um, and then, uh, in the passing game, Chimere DK had three catches, 57. Um, pretty well uh, spread out all those throws from Mordecai. It looks like we had one, two, three, four, like nine different guys catching balls. And there maybe a backup got in. Braden Locke threw one pass. Um, so good on the Badgers. Uh, nice to see them uh, win that game again. We can't really afford uh, to to drop some of these uh, easy. You know, I don't. Nothing's real easy when it comes to this level of football. That's for sure. But clearly, they were a, a heavy favorite for a reason. They came through, and uh, now we're on to Big Ten play. Uh, so we'll probably talk a little more on Wednesday on Hump Day about what's coming up next weekend. Uh, but just for a quick glimpse right now, looks like the Badgers will have an evening game, 6 p.m. Uh, at Purdue on uh, the 22nd, which I think is that Friday. That's right. I think I heard earlier this week that they're playing on Friday night. Uh, so that's kind of new to college football. Fridays are always considered somewhat sacred for high school programs to, to get their attention uh, and you know have fans be able to go out and watch high school games. But college, uh, they started spilling into some of these Friday games a few years ago. Um, so anyways, we'll see the Badgers on Friday night at Purdue. Uh, and I'm not sure if we have much of a line on that one yet. Let me see here once if I can find any information on that. Uh, yeah, it looks like Wisconsin right now is a uh, six-point favorite on that one. Um, so that'll be exciting. Big Ten uh, action is starting up for the Badgers uh, next weekend. Looks like Purdue is one and two, and that'll be again Friday night, 6 p.m. Uh, at Purdue for the Badgers. So I'm going to kind of go a little bit out of the normal order and protocol here because. I don't want to. I don't want to put the Brewers behind the Packers this week. You know, we we for the most part without me talking about it. I'm sure you all know the Packers lost to uh, Atlanta yesterday, and uh, the Brewers. The Brewers. I mean, when we last checked in on Hump Day, I want to say they were like four games ahead. Well, check out these doggone Brewers. They continue to do a nice job. While uh, the Cubs, the Cubs have finally hit a little bit of a skid here in uh, uh, mid mid September. So as it sits here right now on the 18th of September, Brewers are uh, 84 and 65, almost 20 games above 500, and they have uh, they lost their last game, but their last 10 they're seven and three. So they've opened up a six and a half game lead on the Cubs right now. Um, I think now even the Cardinals, being at the bottom of the division, are officially eliminated. So that, you know that's pretty awesome. Um, I'm seeing like a, a percentage here. On, on ESPN standings, and I believe this is the, kind of their playoff chances. So while they officially haven't clinched anything yet, they're sitting at a 99.9% playoff chance on this uh, ESPN standings. And I guess that means there's just not enough games left for the Cubs to realistically make up a six-and-a-half game uh, deficit right now. And if I recall, uh, take a look here, see if I can see the Brewers' schedule. I think they only had like one, one day off. Uh, to, to finish out the season here. So there's not a lot of opportunities for the Cubs to even gain ground, let's say, while, while the while the Brewers would be idle. Um, so, yeah, it looks like uh, they're coming up here. They've been playing Washington. They, they won three out of four against Washington Nationals at home. And then it uh, looks like here they're going to they're gonna be playing tonight at – ooh, they're starting a four-game series at St. Louis. We'll see – those those doggone Cardinals are at the bottom of the division, but it'd be just their style to to sneak a few from from the Brewers. Uh, looks like uh, 
actually out of their however many games they got left it's almost all division games you've got four against st louis three at miami so those seven are on the road right now they're seven seven game road trip and then they'll finish at home with three versus st louis and three more against the cubbies so hopefully the idea would be by the time you get to that cubby series at the end of the season that starts friday september 29th uh, that you would have a big enough advantage where those games are meaningless uh, be a little nervous uh, having essentially a playoff series against the Cubs to see who wins the division. Um, so that would be cool. Uh, good job on the Brewers. Again, I, I don't get to follow them as closely as I'd like to. We don't have Bally Sports at, at our house here in my Cheesehead life, and, and that's a line in the sand I've drawn. I'm not going to go out of my way to, to get another streaming service, so we'll just have to keep up with the Brewers on the websites and the Internet. Um, and right now they're doing a great job again, six and a half games ahead of, uh, the Cubs and, uh, winners of seven of their last 10. Meanwhile, the Cubs, like I said, five game losing streak, they're two and eight in their last 10. And the remainder of the division is, is squeaking out 500, uh, baseball. They're all five and five in their last 10. So seems, uh, certainly more likely than not, according to this, uh, ESPN standings that the Brewers are going to be making the playoffs. So that'd be exciting some October baseball from our Milwaukee Brewers. And I think I'm going to continue to procrastinate on talking about that Packer game. Uh, since I think one of these, maybe if not both of these games might be going on right now already. So let's just talk briefly about Monday night football going on. Um, so last week I, I was uploading without watching the game and I went upstairs and watched Rogers get hurt. This week they had two games going on and, and they're starting relatively early. Looks like we got the Saints uh, on the road at Carolina, so uh, I'll have to go up and watch some of that. I don't have the TV on here in the basement, um, but but curious to see what the Saints look like because, of course, that'll be the Packers' next opponent. Um, right now it's 6-3. to three, and It looks like a, a field goal fest going on with about four minutes left in the second quarter, so I'll, I'll probably see if I can get some DVR going on that, but maybe not a ton if it's only a field goal fest. Um, Saints have been, you know, kind of getting some love. Derek Carr is their, their new quarterback, a former Raider that uh, Devontae Adams really wanted to go play with his college buddy, and then that lasted one year. So now Derek Carr is with the Saints, along with one of my all-time favorite Packers, Jamal Williams, and uh, they got a 6-3 lead, and they'll be coming to Lambeau uh, next week. So if you have a chance, maybe check out some of that because uh, we'll be doing a little scouting on our uh, next opponent for the Packers here, the New Orleans Saints. And then also there's Browns um, at the Steelers, uh, which is underway early here in the first. So that Saints-Panthers game started earlier, and then the, the Browns and Steelers are going. Right now it's 7 nothing Steelers, but going into this one, the Browns were a favorite, which I didn't have any research done, but I, I can't imagine that's happened very often where Cleveland's been a favorite going into Pittsburgh. So it'd be interesting to see who wins that one. My hunch would be Pittsburgh, you know, Monday night, Cleveland coming to town. They want to make it a big deal. Uh, but, you know, Cleveland, they're trying to get the hang of Deshaun Watson being their quarterback after a suspension and a lot of, uh, let's say, baggage for him when, when they got him on the on the roster. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Cleveland can come around and, and get their second win. They, they're one and all. They won in week one, kind of a surprise win over Cincinnati. Meanwhile, the Pittsburgh Steelers got beat pretty good at home against the 49ers. And again, right now, the 0-1 Steelers are up 7-0 on the 1-0 Browns. 
Um, so kind of running out of uh, other things to talk about. So I guess I'll have to talk about that Packer game uh, from yesterday. Um, so the final, 25-24, to 24, the Falcons beat the Packers on uh, literally a last minute, I guess you'd say, field goals, like 50 or so seconds left uh, when, when they kicked the, the field goal that put the Falcons ahead. Uh, but a few things to get to and talk about in terms of that game and, and how it went down. And kind of kind of one of the, the biggest things I want to talk about is going to be, well, I guess I'll put this one on the coaching. Let's just start with that, right? You know, that's what a lot of these big-time coaches always say. Well, it starts with me. And um, that's something that's got to be uh, the case in this one because um, the the – the coaching to me, especially if you're going to roll into the season with the youngest roster in the league, you got a brand new quarterback that's, well, not brand new. We all know he's been on the roster a few years, but hasn't started meaningful games until this year. And um, to me, when, when teams are pretty closely matched, the, the big difference in who wins or loses is usually the coaching, uh, whether it means there's mistakes or great calls or, you know, whatever. Uh, to me, that's kind of that, that fourth wheel, you know, they always talk about the complimentary football being, uh, offense, defense, special teams. So, you know, that's three, that's, that's three items. Uh, but if we're going down the road in a car, you got four wheels, right? To me, the fourth wheel is the coaching then. So the, the, you, one of the wheels went flat and I'm kind of stumbling, struggling there, but like, yeah, to me, this coaching thing was a problem. And, and I'll explain a little bit about why. Um, and part of that is is just, it's going to go to this, uh, one of my least favorite guys right now. And I mentioned him a little bit in prior episodes. Heck of a nice guy, it seems. He, he's very uh, engaged on the socials and seems like a great citizen. All that's good stuff. You know, it gets a little old when he, you know, goes off so much about how much he loves Door County like he discovered it. Um, but A.J. Dillon is kind of like my new Dean Lowry. Dean Lowry, a defensive lineman for the Packers for several years, now plays for the Vikings and is doing very little. Um, you know, just a guy that, I, I, nothing personal, just doesn't seem like the most productive person uh, on the roster. So to me, uh, a, a shortcoming of this coaching staff right now is is not seeing that blind spot that you, you got to get more out of your run game than A.J. Dillon has given you. Um, and for me... Granted, I didn't have a podcast last season, but I would have been saying the same thing last season. He had a nice rookie year, and and to me, the difference there was that they used him a little more like the hammer kind of second half guy that would would start to spell Aaron Jones and close out games and take advantage of a little bit of a worn out defense with fresh legs. And to me, the difference has been the last couple of years they use him early in the game, almost as much as, if not more, than Aaron Jones, who's clearly the more explosive player. And and that's to me where the difference is and where the coaching is failing here is that I and I know uh, Aaron Jones was hurt. I'm not saying we could have gone to Aaron Jones, but Emmanuel Wilson or Patrick Taylor. I'm not even gonna push for my guy Wilson either. Either Wilson or Taylor has got to give you a little more than A.J. Dillon did yesterday. And Dillon had 15 carries, and Wilson and Taylor combined for four. So, you know, I understand Dillon's a veteran. He had a nice rookie year. You know, he's reliable. He doesn't really put the ball on the ground. But with a young quarterback like Love, the coaches, the coaches have to be a lot more creative on how they could have got that run game going yesterday. 
And and it, maybe it's not Wilson and Taylor. Maybe you're you're doing more jet sweeps to guys like Jaden Reed or something like that. Um, but that that to me is where they they also fell short. There just wasn't really any creativity in the run game besides just kind of handing it to Dylan a lot. Fifteen carries. You usually even when you know Jones is healthy, Jones will get twelve. Dylan gets ten. You know, there's usually a much better spread of who touches the ball in the run game for the Packers. So that to me was was a big problem, and and I kind of I was worried about that going in, thinking, well, we we on hump day we were pretty certain uh, Aaron Jones wouldn't play, comes up lame on the hamstring, and it's early in the season. It makes sense that you'd hold him out in an early game. Maybe thinking you got enough, you know, in the tank to beat a team like Atlanta without Aaron Jones, but then you got to be more creative in the run game. So as it as it stands, Jones had 15 carries for 55 yards, a 3.7 yard average, which isn't you know terrible, terrible, but I'm honestly surprised his average was that high. He only had a long of eight, so no run ever got a first down really on his own. You know, going more than 10 yards that is. Um, Jordan Love two carries for 23 yards. Of course, he had the big 23-yard run, which was which was pretty key. Other than that, he didn't really run the ball maybe as much as I thought he could have at times uh, when things were breaking down a little bit there in the second half. Um, but yeah, Emmanuel Wilson three carries, five yards. Patrick Taylor had one carry. Here's a guy that's been on the roster off and on three years. He, he should know your system inside and out. Uh, why is he not getting a few touches? Or again, Jaden Reed, someone, anyone anyone on like a jet sweep or just something a little more creative than what the Packer coaching staff came up with yesterday for that run game. Um, so that was, that was frustrating. And that was a concern, you know, and I said that even going into the bear game or, or as a result of the bear game, you know, that offense really sputtered against the bears. Anytime, anytime Dylan was in there, when Jones was in there, they went up and down the field for touchdowns. I mean, those are the facts. Um, so while they did, you know, score some, obviously, with, with Dylan in there uh, yesterday. Um, it, it certainly wasn't really because of Dylan. It, it was almost in spite of Dylan. So, again, heck of a nice guy. I mean, tremendous effort. I think he puts in the work. I'm not questioning, you know, anything about him as a, you know, professional. It's just the skill set does not seem to be there. And I'd like to see, you know, if we're going to go into the Saints game without Aaron Jones again, you really got to feature guys like Wilson and Taylor. Otherwise, why are they on your roster if, if you can't trust them with carrying the ball more than just four times in a game where you need some help like that? Coaching, coaching comment number two, which probably could have been number one, was uh, the early delay of game. Uh, I believe it was the first possession for the Packers. And um, they, they had gotten, like, really... It, Yesterday, their biggest plays were a couple of pass interferences. Nothing, nothing too exciting overall from the offense, besides just some steady execution. You know, so you know nothing really wrong with what, what Jordan Love did yesterday. Um, and he came away with three touchdowns again, no interceptions, took care of the ball, missed a couple throws, sure. Um, but anyways, back to that first possession, and I didn't even think of this in the immediate aftermath. I caught this on the local talk radio and some fan reaction to the game was uh, on that very first possession having a delay of game when you're looking at a field goal and that turns into a five-yard penalty and now you're looking at a 56-57 yarder. Um, so really, I mean, I, I've been watching football pretty closely for almost 40 years and 
I don't know how many times I've seen a team have a delay a game in an obvious field goal situation. You know, you got that's where you got rookie kicker, rookie holder, or first year holder, a lot of new faces. That's coaching then. Why how is the coaching not getting them out there and being ready to go? And then and then a good point made by our local radio talk was well, why isn't the coach calling a timeout before the penalty? You know, it seems over the years, we the Packers are certainly not afraid to use timeouts. <laughs> you know, we it's been a sore spot for Cheesehead Packer fans for a long time, kind of burning timeouts. And there they sit, first possession, chance to put up points on your opponent, take a little bit of momentum, you know, and they, uh, they take the delay of game and punt it. So... A number of things going wrong here. One, delay a game. Two, why isn't someone on the coaching staff hollering for a timeout to save that five yards? And then three, three is what about Anders Carlson? I, our so far lights out kicker has has really been pretty money in game action going through preseason. He had that one one night in preseason. He missed a couple extra points, I think, but generally he's been like really solid and, and ha- well, literally hasn't missed so far in uh, the regular season. Knocking on some wood there for him. As a, I don't want to jinx him, as the old famous kind of jinx goes. But anyways, so the big thing about drafting Anders Carlson is that he's got this monster leg and, and we're going to let Mason Crosby go, the, the veteran we can count on. And, and so they get the five-yard delay a game. They won't let him cook a cook. Cook kick a dog on like 56 yarder and i thought i saw a blip that said um in preseason he made a 57 yarder outside um so here you are in a dome controlled conditions all that and they they opted for punting so i don't know that that to me was a huge huge opportunity especially when you look you know and i'm not huge on just saying well you lost by one and, and you didn't take a field goal early there you go that's the difference I mean, the games play out so differently depending on situations. You know, they always talk about situational football. So I'm never really one to just draw a straight line to say, well, if you took a field goal early, you win by two points. You know, when you see the outcome is that you lost by one. But in this case, you know, I mean, I think it's still a fair thing to point out is that when you, what happened there? Why don't you take that three-point shot? You know, all right, you give them midfield if you miss it. But where is the fear of Desmond Ritter and in this? Is it like a high-powered Falcons offense that you were concerned of handing them the ball at at midfield? You know, it's early in the game. Let let the youngster take a shot. If not, call the dang timeout and save him five yards. You know. Anyways, first possession, first series to to look that unprepared for those situations, meaning a field goal. It that was really really. Uh, on the coaching staff and disappointing there. So, I mean, you know, I, I like everything they're going to talk about players and execution and, and some of that stuff with every post game uh, recap. But I mean, this one I'm looking, I'm looking straight at the coaching staff and saying, you know, if you got a young team, Gutekinst is going to roll into the season with the youngest team in the NFL. I get it. We're kind of taking a rip the bandaid approach here. You trade Rogers, you're still dealing with a lot of his cap implications in terms of salary and what you can maneuver and do with the team. Um, you've, you've let a new, number of guys go. A- Adrian Amos, Mason Crosby, Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunyon. You know, you ne- that's fine. But then the coaches better be ready to coach these young guys and have them ready to go. 
and they certainly did not have this team ready to go. I mean, I'm sure some of you would be like, wow, Patrick, they, they were eventually up by like 12 points. They had to do something right. Well, yeah, sure. And, and of course they did. There, there were some stretches where this team looked really good. And considering considering what Jordan Love is dealing with there, where he had three touchdown passes and all of them were to rookies. Um, you know, again, Christian Watson is out. He had David Bakhtiari is taking a day off apparently with his knee always being weird or some speculation because it was maybe a game on turf. They weren't going to have Bakhtiari suit up. Uh, Coach Matt seemed a little testy after the game. If you get a chance to search for his uh, post-game presser, it was one of the few times I've heard him be a little short with reporters. Um, so when they asked about why Bakhtiari was out, which a lot of Packer fans were wondering too, this guy got a huge contract a few years ago. Yeah, he had a knee injury, but so did Rashawn Gary, right? You know, some guys come back really well from those knees. And for whatever reason, Bakhtiari's had nothing but trouble with his knee. Um, and we'll never know why. Um, but it, it begs the question then when you go on the road, with a quarterback like Jordan Love that could use every bit of help he, he can, and, and you don't have your all-pro left tackle if he's taking a veteran day of rest or whatever, it'd be nice to get an explanation, and, and he's not playing. So if that's, you know, and again, that's to me is coaching. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with the Aaron Jones thing. Got to probably hold him out the way he came up gimpy in that game. It'd be hard to believe he could go full speed a week later. Christian Watson is kind of a mystery. You know, he played a bunch of snaps in the first preseason games. And then suddenly when it gets to real live action, he's been out two weeks. So can't really have a strong opinion on what's bothering him. Um, but, but you know, this coaching staff and the Packers in general the last few years, they I understand it's a long season. It's a marathon. You got to save guys, you know, get them rest or whatever a little bit. But if you don't make the playoffs, then what are you saving guys for? You know, you lose a game like this early in the season, very winnable game when you're up 12 points and then everything just collapses in the fourth quarter. Um, again, kind of pointing at the coaching staff for not doing a better job, figuring out a way to win a game with such a young team. And so let's say you get to the last game of the year and, and if it's a, you know, winner you're in or winner, loser you're out kind of situation, you look back at a game like the Falcons, be like, well, we rested all these guys in case we make the playoffs, you know, three months from now. Well, you know, and that's just, I, I get it. It's, there's no easy answers, but sure seems like the Packers err on the side of caution when it comes to these uh, kind of nagging injuries and making sure guys are rested and fresh for the, the stretch run. But, you know, if you get into December and, and you're not in the playoff hunt, then what's all this rest good for anyways? You got to win some of the early games, don't you? So... I just kind of want to put a bow on my AJ Dillon comments here before we move on to a couple other thoughts about that game. Um, so we're looking at his, his numbers for the year now, and um, we're looking at 28 carries total for 74 yards, a 2.6 average. His long remains eight from the eight yard gain he had yesterday against Atlanta. Um, he's added three catches for 25 yards, nothing too remarkable there. So anyways, you're looking at though, in two games, that guy's gotten 28 touches of the football, and you're only getting 2.6, not even three yards uh, on average when he touches it. So you got a young quarterback, and, and you know, I, I wouldn't even mind so much Dylan on second or third down, but when they run him on first down and you're only getting 2.6 yards, 
you know, you're putting your young quarterback in second and long every single time. Now I know it's an average, uh, you know, some of his runs will be longer or whatever, but you know, the point being, um, anytime they hand it off to Dylan on first down, you're kind of playing behind the sticks, so to speak in, you know, in, in football speak, it means you're not getting much on first down and now second down is a bit of a burden and hopefully you get third and manageable. But that, that to me is a pretty good indicator. We'll, we'll have to keep an eye going into this next game Sunday. If they can, again, I I'm going to, my hunch would be Aaron Jones. They're going to be real cautious with these injuries, given they have a bye week coming up in like three, four weeks now. Um, but I'm going to assume Aaron Jones won't play and we got to figure out, or the Packer coaching staff has got to figure out something more creative in the run game than just handing it off to AJ Dillon 15 times. Cause that's not, you're going to get beat by the saints if you do that too. So uh, a little bit of a rant there on the coaching and AJ Dillon and now uh, plenty of room, plenty of oxygen left for more ranting on the coaching staff and our guy, Joe Barry. Uh, so the defense, not, not, to be outdone by the offense, uh, kind of losing their minds a little bit in their approach. Uh, they they were back to their traditional form of not getting anything done when you really needed them. And, you know, give them some, a little bit of leeway. Uh, the Packers couldn't control the ball at all. So in the second half, especially the Falcons ran way more plays, I believe. Overall, it was something crazy. Like Packers ran like 46 offensive plays to like 76 of the Falcons. Uh, Huge discrepancy there, but somewhat self-inflicted. You know, Packers, if you can't get off the off the field on third down because you're playing seven yards off the the you know awesome running back, that's the only one that's killing you. Saw a highlight of that today. Uh, third and three later in the game, about five minutes left. Bijan Robinson, the the rookie running back from I believe Alabama, that was really killing the Packers yesterday, uh, lined up. Uh, as like a wide receiver way out wide and the Packers and their scheme had uh Devondre Campbell linebacker on him. And he was about 12 yards off the ball. And all, all Bijan had to do was basically run a quick little slant underneath all that coverage. And it was like easy, easy catch and throw or throw and catch for Desmond Ritter. And Ritter's only on like his fifth or sixth career start. So, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a shame that the Packers let this one get away because you know, Atlanta, to their credit, played played well in spots. Uh, Bijan certainly seems like a talent. They got a couple decent receivers. Uh, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, uh, Bijan catching the ball out of the backfield. They're pretty active on defense. Um, but certainly not anyone that you're right now probably penciling in for the playoffs yet. Playoffs. And um, so disappointing that our defense, once again, like I talked about, I think, last week, uh, after the Bear game, it was 2019 when Rodgers and and I think they they won the opener against the Bears. Packer defense looked pretty solid, and Rodgers is like, "We have a defense," you know, post post game comments. And then that defense kind of didn't look so great the rest of the year. I hate to say, kind of deja vu. Feel like we're seeing that again. Open the season against the Bears, pretty solid effort, good performance by the defense. Seems like finally, finally, all these high draft picks and stuff are gonna start paying off, and 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 we're gonna have a decent i mean packer fans are reasonable we're not even looking for like we're not looking for like 2000 ravens or 85 bears we're just looking for decent like top 10 maybe top third of the league and then if your offense like they did yesterday puts up 24 points you should win most of those games to me and i don't know if a lot of football people are like this the, the over under on defense is kind of like at 20 points if you hold a team under 20 
You'd like to think your team can score over 20 and you'd win most of those games. So when I see the Packers score 24, then yeah, it's a little frustrating that the defense gives up 25. Um, especially in a game that, that they were controlling a bit early, but I don't know if controlling is the right word. They had an interception early. They got Desmond Ritter's first ever uh, interception, but they dropped at least two more interceptions. You know, some days I really love Jair Alexander, and some days he drives me nuts, like, you know, all hat, no cattle type of thing, where, you know, he's supposed to be, and everybody says, one of the best corners in the NFL, and he has a perfect opportunity for a pick six and doesn't make it. That, that to me, that's what separates guys like, you know, Charles Woodson from, you know, Jair Alexander. You know, Charles Woodson catches that ball 10 out of 10 times and makes it a touchdown. Jair Alexander, I don't know if I've seen him make that catch yet. I mean, great coverage at times and flashy player, you know, like Jair generally, but pretty frustrated with him yesterday not being able to make a, an obvious, you know, opportunity for a pick six. And then missed the tackle, I think, later. Um, got beat on a pass play later. So a tough day for Jair Alexander, where it's frustrating a bit for this Packer fan is because going into this season, these guys on defense were kind of chirping up about, yeah, we're gonna we gotta step up and we gotta help uh, you know, Jordan Love, we gotta do our part to win games, you know, and, and support him. Well, yesterday was your opportunity to do your part, and and no one on defense really came through. Uh, my guy Quay Walker had a pretty solid game, making a lot of tackles, chasing around that running back. Um, so overall good, but he too dropped another, you know, slam dunk interception over the middle. Um, and that, that, that was pretty frustrating. And then you could argue that uh, uh, Savage, Dar- is it Darnell Savage? I don't even really like top of my head can remember his name right now. Darnell Savage, yeah. So yeah, anyways, Quay Walker, by the way, says here 17 total tackles. Well, that's where they ran the ball so dang much there for Atlanta. Um, But anyways, um, Darnell Savage. You know, he had a couple moments in the Bear game where he looked pretty decent, but he was a former first-round pick, and I just can't get rid of him soon enough now. Um, Seeing him dive at the feet of the running back, just completely whiffing. You know, like not even even making it hard on the running back. He's just, you know, taking himself right out of the play. Running back, it's a quick step inside. There goes another yellow helmet flying past my feet. Well, that yellow helmet and the jersey on him is 26, Darnell Savage. So they do a play, uh, a flea flicker Atlanta does late in the game. Uh, to, to Savage's credit, and partly why he's a number one pick, he's got great speed, great range. He's got all the tools, so he, he makes up a lot of ground, gets gets to the play, and somehow he doesn't even hardly jump and the guy catches the ball right over him. So if nothing else, like just swat at that dang ball, knock it out of there. But that gave up a huge play. So Darnell Savage, just not able to make a play when you really could have used one. Um, you know, Kenny Clark had a pretty solid game from, you know, some of the write-ups I've been seeing, but generally that defense just not as active as you'd like them to be. I think they only had one sack on Desmond Ritter. And I mentioned going into this game, uh, that Atlanta had given up four sacks uh, to Carolina when they only passed the ball like 18, 19, 20 times, something like that. Well, now Desmond Ritter goes off for 32 throws, and our you know big, tough defense full of number one draft picks uh, couldn't get but one sack for like a minus two yards. It didn't even really matter much in terms of yardage. Um, so again, coaching, you know, this is a defense. It's a little trickier for me. It is a kind of a chicken or the egg thing. Because the one example, and I've already mentioned his name once, is a guy like Charles Woodson. You know, 
was Dom Capers a good defensive coordinator for a few years, or was it because he had some pretty great players for a few years? You know what I mean? Like having Charles Woodson and Clay Matthews on the same defense for a few years, BJ Raji, you know, those guys that kind of just have a knack for making plays. Well, yeah, all of a sudden the Packers look like they have kind of a good defense. Is it a coincidence that there's, you know, three of our best players on that roster at the same time? You know what I mean? So the defense, yeah, I mean, everybody hates Joe Barry, or I hates a strong word, but, um, you know, a lot of attention on Joe Barry forever, and I think it's justified. I mean, now here we are, year three, and um, little concern that Matt LaFleur's loyalty to uh, Joe Barry uh, could be a downfall, and some would argue that was Mike McCarthy's downfall with the previous regime, you know, just a few too many years with Dom Capers. And, and by the time they, they let him go and made a change, it was already, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall already for McCarthy and his tenure with the Packers. And I saw a write-up about, you know, maybe six, eight months ago when they announced that they'd stick with Joe Barry kind of with the same concern. Is this going to be an issue for LaFleur? Is he going to, you know, kind of, you know, dig his own grave, so to speak, um, by, uh, by sticking with this loyalty factor for whatever reason, Joe Barry has no great track record. There's not like, Oh, he's, he was good everywhere he's been. I mean, he's been let go several times. It wouldn't be a first. Um, so we'll, we'll have to keep an eye as we go into this new Orleans game at home. What kind of defense we get? I mean, right now I'm way off the defensive bandwagon. I'm, I was kind of a wait and see getting a little bit excited. I always still a little bit of that, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome of uh, seeing how poorly our defense has done in the past, so it's hard to really get on board and believe in them. So the Bear game comes and goes, and it's kind of like, all right, maybe, okay, maybe. You know, they talked about being more aggressive. Barry's up in the booth now. Looked pretty good against uh, Chicago. Um, well, now we probably find out that that's more about Chicago being an awful offense, an awful scheme, than it is about the Packers' defense being any good. You know, I like some of their players. I like Wyatt. I like Walker. You know, obviously Rashawn Gary. So, you know, maybe it is a scheme. Maybe it's got to be Barry. Um, but really disappointing in in that effort. In, in terms of what happened, in terms of like the overall numbers, I mean, that's, that's what's really scary here. So we'll, we'll kind of leave you with this here on this case of the Mondays. A little bit, little bit more antsy, ranting about a loss for the Packers. Ultimately, I think you know, this is what you're going to see. A young team that's going to be finding its way a little bit. Again, frustrating because I think if you have a solid coaching performance, you win this game. And the coaching is really kind of what let these young guys down, in my opinion. Um, but overall, I mean, this is going to be the season. You know, some games are just going to, you know, Jordan Love struggled late in the game. Went like 0 for his last six. You know, certainly five years ago with a guy like Rodgers, you get the ball back with 50 seconds. You're thinking, all right, we're at least getting in field goal range, right? So this guy, Love, he's new to this. All his receivers are young as heck. I mean, basically just playing with all rookies out there and then Romeo Dobbs, um, who's only a second-year guy. Um, but to kind of hammer that nail one more time for our defense, listen to this. They give up 446 total yards to Desmond Ritter and the Atlanta Falcons. 5.7 yards per play, uh, 7 yards per, plat, per, plas, per pass, 4.7 yards per rush. And they killed us on time of possession. Atlanta had the ball 36 minutes to Packers 23. Uh, so this is a rare example where the Packers won the turnover battle by getting the one um, by getting the one interception from uh, Ritter there early in the game, uh, but ultimately lost the game. Uh, by comparison, they had 211 yards rushing and uh, Packers had 84. 
Um, so all in all, uh, pretty, pretty tough, tough one to lose for the Packers. I mean, we expected this. This is one though. I didn't have pegged for a loss. I kind of thought they could go to Atlanta and win, maybe come out two and zero before their first home game. Uh, but I was wrong there. So I'm one and one on my Packers schedule here. Um, and, and we'll hope for better things. Um, but for now, I think that's going to do me here on this case of the Mondays recapping what happened over the last weekend with the Brewers, Badgers, and Packers. And I uh, want to thank you, everybody, once again for listening. Uh, this is Patrick and My Cheesehead Life, a Packer fan podcast. Remember, I got the website, mycheeseheadlife.com. There's a blog out there called Cheese Curds where I'll put up a summary of the, t- the show today and some links. little light on the links, no real articles that I went through today, just looking at some of the numbers from the football action over the weekend. Um, but overall, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, this will do it here for me on Case of the Mondays. My Cheese Had Life podcast. Uh, remember, there's the Twitter or X handle, My Cheese Head Pod. And then I've got the email info at mycheeseheadlife.com. So thanks once again. Looking forward to talking to you again on Hump Day and looking forward to what's coming up next weekend with the Packers and the Saints, Badgers at Purdue. And we'll again keep an eye on how our Brewers are doing in their push for the playoffs and winning that Central Division. Thank you. <laughs>